Welcome. You're now listening to Dirty Feet. Bonjour. Oui, vous êtes sur les ondes des pieds sales, a.k.a. Dirty Feet podcast on No More Radio. And hosted by... Joanie Farrand. J.D. Papillon. Alison Burns. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This week, we are diverging from our usual format on Dirty Feet. We're going to be talking about dance, but in a different, from a different angle. We're going to be speaking with the assistant director of the Cameron School of Dance. This is going to be uh, Sheena Cameron Prihoda is going to join us in just a few minutes. Uh, they are celebrating 75 years, and they just got back from a cruise, and we've got a lot to talk about. So before we get there, I do want to hear about this very exciting move that's happening soon that JD has all the details on. Well, on Thursday last week, I attended the Tangent Season Launch, uh, right before their fundraiser. And before they started talking about the new season for 2013, 2014, they gave us a bit of an update on what's happening with Tangent. And for most of you, uh, you probably know that Tangent has been nomad for two years now. They don't have their own studio. Uh, they've been renting studios to present the, the works that, uh, they're presenting and the first year that happened uh last year was really tough on tangent and you know people went to the shows they could see that in the attendance it had gone down quite a bit but it was very nice to hear from them that this year ticket sales went back up 20 percent from what it was before and it's good because we see their audience coming back um, oh i'm so filled with joy i love tangent yeah and we need tangent i mean the I I think that it's such an essential resource in Montreal for choreographers, for dancers, uh, the way they they bring the um, the dance community forward in in creation, and it was really heartwarming to hear that, and to see also what they have planned going on starting next year. Uh, this was on the trail of the announcement of the L'Espace Dance Québec. Uh, which was formerly known as the Wilder Project. We've talked about it before. It's the Wilder building uh, right next to the Music Plus office uh, downtown in the Quartier des Spectacles. So the the building will be focused on dance. There will be the Ministère de la Culture uh, et de la Condition Féminine, which will be moving there. There will be also Tangent, Agora de la Danse, Les Grands Ballets de Canadien Montréal, and L'École de Danse Contemporaine de Montréal will all be moving into this building. So it will become this lighthouse, basically, for the dance community in Montreal. And it will also allow people in downtown, especially visitors, tourists, to have an easier access to dance, uh, which was not the case in the past, especially with Lagora and Tangent in, on Cherrier. It was much more difficult to attract visitors. I was going to argue that it's like an anti-lighthouse because instead of keeping them away, it's going to let people crash into dance. True. I should say a light or a flame bringing the moths to yes. dance. Yes. The public are moths. <laughs> that were very nice on Dirty Feet, aren't we? So that's one of the big announcements that they talked about. Also, there are a lot of projects coming up. They will be, they're, they're refocusing their branding and their mandate. 
but this is something that is still up in the air a bit, will, which will be discussed a bit more after the summer. Uh, they also they also mentioned that uh, through a twenty kilometers run fundraising event that they participated in recently, they amassed a lot more money so that they could could do more school shows for the upcoming season. That's something that they had to cut back on this year, but next year they will be able to do that again, and it's good because they often give shows during the afternoon, which attracts people from schools, uh, people who are doing dance in school, but also people are just you know going through their high school experience to discover dance. And it will be a season that has a very strong breakdance influence, especially the first half of the season. There are a lot of shows with people coming from a, da- a breakdance background, which is quite often the easiest way to get school kids interested in dance. And um, that was part of their big announcements. Also, they're working on a project with Linda Gaudreau, who used to do the events in Limbo and Clash. And it will be uh, something much more focused on the research rather than the creation aspect of of contemporary dance. Um, So this is all stuff that's not completely set in stone stuff that they are still working on but it's it's a bright future for tangent hearing everything that they were talking about i'm very excited and i think that people who go see to to tangent will be happy about the direction they're taking and i'm not talking about the tangent uh, season right now because it's all in my um my bloody underrated report which should be up on the website at the moment so you can read about my thoughts about the new season, the big announcements. I also live tweeted the event, but they were talking to us about the show so quickly that basically it was one tweet after another. But you can check our Twitter history if you want to see how fast I typed my Twitter <laughs> tweets. It was fun, and it was very exciting to see the, the upcoming 2013-2014 season. Amazing. Okay, so I think we're going to get to our interview now, but do stay tuned at the end of the show. We've got a little international treat for you. So this year, the Cameron School of Dance is celebrating its 75th anniversary. This was a dance studio that was officially formed in 1938, and it's been in the Cameron family since then. And they actually celebrated this anniversary with a performance on a cruise ship, <laughs> which is very exciting. And I can't wait to hear more about that. We're going to be speaking with Sheena Cameron Prihoda, who is the assistant director of the studio. And she's also the granddaughter of the original founder. So hello, and thank you for joining us, Sheena. Hi, thank you, Allison. So I want to start at the beginning, if we may, because this is very intriguing to me, this this sweet uh, homegrown dance studio here in uh, in Montreal. Can you tell us a bit about uh, about the beginnings of the studio and when your grandmother put it together? Sure. Um, back in the 1930s, my grandmother took dance lessons um, from a teacher who actually studied in New York City. And... Um, 
she often had friends ask her, you know, could they teach her, teach them how to dance? So she had nowhere to teach them. Uh, and she said, Oh no, I, you know, I go take my classes at my uh, teacher's place. And they're like, Oh, well, we'll come over to your house. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You can just teach us in your living room. And so my grandmother started teaching uh, friends and then children of neighbors in her living room and in her backyard. And, um, our website actually has some really cool old pictures of photos of, groups of kids in their costumes posing in her backyard, uh, black and white photos. And during the 30s and 40s, she formed a troupe called Legs and Airs, and they actually used to perform for the troops during the wartime. They would travel around and perform for the troops. So over the years, it just progressed and got, it was never, it's never, it's not a huge school, but it got, I guess, more and more popular. And um, my grandmother uh, taught many hours a week. She loved teaching the little children, but my mom, when she was old enough, started to teach with my grandmother. Um, um, and then when I, my grandmother taught till she was 75 years old, actually, she was still wearing her bodysuit and her tights and her tap shoes. And she actually only stopped teaching because, um, my uncle lived in Ontario and had four kids and was going through a bit of, of a divorce. So my grandmother said she would move there and help him take care of the kids. So she officially retired at 75 years old from teaching, but she was in amazing shape. And, um, at that point, my mom, took over the majority of the teaching of the classes. And when I, I always had, um, the competitive team, which I started when I was 18. So I guess about 22 years ago. Um, and then I slowly got more and more involved in the studio as well. So now, uh, I, always worked a regular day job. And actually this March, I just quit my regular day job to focus a little more, a bit more on the studio with my mom. So my mom retired from her day job two years ago. And uh, now we're both um, just spending time trying to build the studio up and actually put time on it. It was kind of just a hobby for all of us, my grandmother and my mother and myself. And it was never really our primary focus. But uh, we figured, you know, after 75 years this year, we might as well go ahead and make it our main uh, focus for both of us. So that's what we're doing now. And it originally started in uh, Greenfield Park. Is yeah, that right. Definitely Greenfield Park. And my grandmother taught all the kids um, basically around that area. And we teach their grandchildren and some great grandchildren now of people oh, that my amazing. grandmother taught. Yeah. And, um, my grandmother had an amazing ability to remember everybody's name. I, I remember when I was a little kid, I would go shopping with her to get groceries. My grandfather would say, okay, you know, we need some milk. So we'd go out and get some milk and we'd be gone for like three hours. Cause we'd always run into someone and they'd be like, Oh, Mrs. Cameron. And they'd stop and she'd talk with them. And if it was someone she taught 20 years prior, she'd remember their name and she'd remember all the details and ask them how they were. And it was really impressive. I don't have that ability. <laughs> And I always was so impressed with my grandmother, how she remembered every single student she ever taught. And it may, it may have taken her a second just to click at who he, she was speaking to, but she knew within minutes who she taught, even if it had been 20 or 30 years prior. So it was amazing to kind of see her in action. I imagine also the school has grown since then, so you have more names to remember yeah, than she did. Yeah, it has. It has grown, but we're still, you know, actually we are moving in September. We've always just been a one-room studio, so we're finally going to a two-room studio in September. We've managed to do all of this in one little studio room, so um, yeah, it's it's not huge. It's still very family-run. Everybody knows everyone. We know everybody's name in the studio. My mom definitely knows everybody's name in the studio. She handles 
the bulk of the, of the dancing and I just, um, managed the competitive part. But, uh, yeah, it's very family oriented. We have lots of sis siblings, like two, three sisters and brothers. We have mothers dancing with their sons and daughters, like in the studio. So it's very, uh, family oriented. How would you say it balances out between the competitive um, goals of the of the studio and the community kind of aspect of it? Um, well, we've always been really community oriented. I mean, um, we you know we've always really supported all of the um, what we felt we wanted to kind of help. Uh, for example, every year our show we donate money to the Shriners Hospital, and this year. I think we've now donated about $157,000 to the Montreal Shriners Hospital. So our shows at the end of the year, our money is, our profits are donated to uh, the Shriners. We work with the Monterregie SPCA. We work with all sorts of um, associations and groups in Greenfield Park. So we have a big part in, and I wouldn't even say Greenfield Park, but just on the South Shore. We have a big part in, we feel like we we still want to work, you know, as much as we can with the community. We have a small group of dancers. We have 52 competitive jazz dancers, and we probably have um, another 20 to 30 competitive Highland dancers. There's a bit of crossover there. But, um, you know, they it's a separate kind of program. Uh, it's run differently than the recreational side. We have, you know, for the jazz team that I manage, we have three to four competitions a year that we do. Nothing major. And the competitive Highland dancers, well, they pretty much travel all summer. So it's, you know, we're still able to manage both. My mom manages the recreational part of the studio as well as the competitive Highland dancers. And I just take care of the competitive jazz. I call it the jazz team, but we do a little bit of everything. So it kind of works out well. We, we kind of split the duties, although she has the larger part of the duties with the bulk of the school, but it's split between us. Speaking of doing a little bit of everything, you teach a lot of different styles at the at the school. There's ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, Irish, Highland, creative dance, yoga, stretch, acro tumbling. That one I need a definition of. Yeah, it's uh, actually new to us. We developed this program last year. It's we call it right now. It's being called acro tumbling because we're trying to build it. So we need to teach the dancers how to actually tumble, but we want to develop it into an acro dance program which is not very popular in Quebec. It's very popular in Ontario, outside of Quebec, in the United States. So uh, we saw it as an opportunity to bring this in for our dancers. Um, so right now, what they're doing is basically learning how to tumble. So we have a gymnastics, co- a certified gymnastics coach who comes in and who teaches them the basics to tumbling. We are lucky to have quite a few dancers who are already quite high level gymnasts. So we have a few levels that we're offering right now. And then the goal in a couple of years is really to integrate it in with the dance. So to make it an acro dance class. So where we're blending dance movement with uh, acrobatics. So whether that be contortion or tumbling or whatever, it's going to take a couple of years, but that's the goal right now. And can I also ask what is Irish dance? Irish dancing is like what you see in River Dance or Lord of the Dance. So um, that was not something that was um, initially taught with at our studio, but about 15, 20 years ago, we hired in actually teachers from the top studio in Quebec, probably one of the top studios in the country from Bernadette Short. So our teacher uh, has been with us now for eight to 10 years, I guess. We've had others in the past and she, it's, it's Irish dancing. So it's, it's, um, how would I say it's traditional Irish dancing. So with the soft shoe and the hard shoe and their beautiful costumes and their (laughs) 
perfectly curly hair, which, you know, so it's, it's really, um, traditional Irish dance. And they, some of them started competing as well. So we have a few levels. And for Irish and Highland dancing, what are competitions like? Exactly. Uh, I actually can't speak of the Irish dancing because I've actually never been myself. Uh, Highland dancing, I was a competitive Highland dancer. That's actually what my true passion was when I was younger. And that's what I primarily focused on myself as a dancer was Highland dancing. It's very different than the competitions that you, we go to now for ballet or jazz. Uh, Highland dancing is an individual sport, if you want to call it. So, um, they compete in set dances. So the Highland fling, the sword dance, the chantreuse, There are set dances and set steps that you have to learn. And then you get up individually on stage in front of one judge or three. It depends if it's a championship or not. And you compete. Um, and the Highland dancers compete all year long, but their biggest season is the summertime for like the Highland games that they'll do circuits. They'll travel through Canada and the States and just compete, but it's individual. Whereas the competition team that I manage now is a team. It's, um, we have four teams. We have a mini team, which are like my seven to 10 year olds. And we have four teams going right up to like dancers who are in their, you know, 27 years old and they compete as a team. So we do group dances and we go into competitions and we compete against ourselves first and then other studios for overall marks. The, the whole competition aspect, do you feel that it's quite often something that people who start taking the recreative classes aspire to move on to? Or is it something that just evolves very naturally? I think for us, um, I think it just evolves naturally. I think a dancer in our studio anyways um, might not even know there's a competitive team. They would just see us at showtime and we identify in our program that these are the competitive kids, but it's not really the focus of our studio. So I think if someone starts with us recreationally and then is interested in doing more hours, they'll come to us and say, oh, what are our options? So then at that point, we'll kind of explain to them, well, if they want to audition for the competitive team, then, you know, here's how they can go about doing it. So it's not, nobody comes to us particularly to compete. They start as recreational dancers and then maybe develop that interest over the years. And... And with the, the competition aspect, it must create a sort of uh, community within a community very much so? Yeah, I think so because, um, well, we travel together a lot, obviously, so they become very close friends. And, I mean, I've got kids on my team. I have one girl who just retired this year. She's been 21 years on my 22 years of my team. So... Uh, you know, we, they all get grow up and get married. And last year, uh, every couple of years we have a wedding and usually all six bridesmaids are their dance buddies, you know, <laughs> so it's definitely creates a really tight unit. You know, they're, they become best friends. The parents become friends. We all travel a few times a year together and it's just like this big extended family. So yeah, it's definitely these relationships that are, you know, created and built and kind of maintain throughout their lives and they remain friends pretty, you know, forever. I mean, we have alumni who haven't danced with us for 30 or 40 years who are still friends with people they had took classes with, you know, all that time ago. So you spend time with each other in the studio and you usually have the same interests. So you end up staying friends. 
You mentioned some students in their late twenties. Do you have uh, like mature classes for um, recreational we, dancers? We definitely do, but we don't have. Well, actually, in September we're adding more, <laughs> but um, we didn't really have studio time to have just specifically those classes. So we have adults mixed in with, you know, non-adults. <laughs> uh, a lot of our classes are Irish dance. We have a lady who's started dancing with us in her early fifties. And she's been with us about seven years. I think she's 57, 58 now. She does Irish and she does ballet. And she's just mixed right in with our regular, um, you know, recreational kids. We have quite a few adults to do Highland and jazz, but we're hoping as of September, we've opened up about three or four new classes now aimed at adults. We have, um, kind of a funky jazz class that we've created for them. And we have some, you know, ballet boot camp classes that I'm offering this summer and butts and gut strengthening classes. So, you know, they're kind of dispersed throughout our studio and tap and other courses, mm-hmm. but you know, now hopefully we'll be able to focus a little more on them. I'm talking like 40 and over because our adult, right. our, our 20 somethings are, are our senior dancers. So they're still dancing strong. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that because I feel like for, for myself, when I take a break and I need to go back and do a class and I've seen, you know, peers do this as well, there's a lot of anxiety about coming back to a studio where chances are there's going to be a lot of younger students who are in it to win it and you just want to dance. Um, do you, do you have conversations with people who are looking for that kind of class who, who want to come back to dance, but they're nervous about it? They're nervous about the environment. Yeah. Um, but they're generally old students of ours. Mm. Uh, and honestly, um, our, if I'm talking of the late 20s, they never stop dancing. So they may have taken a year off to have a baby <laughs> and now they're back. Um, so, I mean, we're not an elite level dance studio. So it's not difficult for someone to take a few years off and pop back into our classes because the elite dancers are the competitive dancers. So it's... I think anyone, if you've got a dance experience, got some dance experience, can come and just take our classes and still enjoy them because the more advanced dancers know how to bring up that level themselves and they will in class. For example, in ballet, they'll be doing their class on point, whereas the dancers who are maybe returning after a few years off or who just aren't at that level are just going to do it demi point and maybe do it with less head and less arms. So, you know, we provide different levels within that class anyway. So it's fun to see them come back. We really love them to come back, but we're really happy to say that most of them, like we're probably unique in the sense that we're very lucky to have so many senior level dancers still dancing with us. And when we go to compete, actually, a lot of the competitions like outside of Quebec, um, I've learned that the dancers stop around 18 or 19. They go to university and they stop dancing with their studio. But we're lucky enough here in Montreal to have McGill and University of Montréal and all these universities that the students don't have to go away to study. So they still dance. So our team goes and often there's categories for 18 and under or adult. My girls aren't adult dancers. They're actually competitive advanced dancers. So it's kind of awkward sometimes to find room for them because they think they're adult dancers, which are parents dancing, and they're not. They're actually 25, 26, 27-year-olds who are still competing, who are winding down, who aren't doing the same amount of hours that they used to. But it's um we're unique in that sense because we realize that we don't really fit in <laughs> in a lot of the competitions that we go to except for in Quebec, because Quebec has a lot of studios with older dancers. 
since this is a family business, you've been part of it your whole life. You right. really grew alongside with it. How do you feel that the the dance scene for studios such as yours has evolved, uh, especially with things such as So You Think You Can Dance? Has people's expectations uh, changed since also? Yeah, I think people are definitely more informed on what um you know, a dance class should look like. I think really what changed that was the internet because way back years ago when I was choreographing, unless you went and took classes, you know, in New York or go to workshops and, you know, out of your studio, you didn't see anything else. Now you can just click on YouTube and get all sorts of ideas and you can actually almost take a class without leaving your home. So I think that's probably what changed things. People have been able to see different levels of dance, different styles of dance because of the internet. I think so you think you can dance has definitely, you know, broadened people's views. But I think the internet came, you know, obviously way before that. And about, you know, 10 years ago, I was choreographing just what was in my little head, you know, and, and based on what I had experienced myself. Now, I can't, the you know, touch of my fingertips, I can say, oh, I wonder what an African dance looks like. I wonder, you know, I'd like to get some influence from that. And I'll just go and type it in now and go, okay, I think I can take something away from that. So I really think it was more internet, like, you know, what would that be 10 years ago? I don't even know when it really started becoming more accessible. And when you choreograph for for sequences, for class, or for competition aspects, um, what exactly do you focus on? Because here at Dirty Feet, of course, we focus mostly on the contemporary dance scene, and there is probably a big difference yeah. in, in how we choreograph. So for you, what's your creative process like when you create stuff for your students? I think I'm probably the least creative person you know, and I'm not kidding. I'm a scientist by background, so my choreographies are very scientific. I start with formations. I start with a picture, my little X's on my paper, and what I want the visual to look like. So my, I've learned, I learned over the years because we're not an advanced level studio. Our kids don't train 20 hours a week. We go up against studios that train 20 hours a week. My team trains an hour and a half to two hours a week. Um, and we do extremely well based on those hours. And I think it's because I've learned over the years, we've learned over the years that the visual of the dance, the formations and the costumes and how neat you look and how you work towards your dancer's strengths and camouflage the weaknesses work to our, like we've figured that out. So we can go up against studios that train 20 hours a week and still score like them, if not, you know, beat them. Um, so for me, I'm very much a scientific choreographer so I, I which I know is really not like anyone outside of the competitive milieu I know it I'm just not a creative person so I really put my X's and my O's on my paper and I know the number of dancers I have the formations I pick my music I chart my music and then I plug in the dance steps after like it really is very mathematical and scientific for me which I know is not the norm but it's what works for me <laughs> You mentioned costumes um, for for your jazz troupe, competition jazz troupe. What kind of costumes can people expect to see? Uh, well, our entire studio orders costumes from the states, um, so you know they're what you would see in your typical dance catalog. 
you know, we tell our parents when they sign their kids up that, you know, if they want to do the show, there'd be a costume to purchase and we give them a rough idea of how much it'll be between, you know, 45 and $60 US. Uh, and they're, you know, they're showy, sparkly costumes. I think we went through, or I went through anyways, that period in my life where I didn't want sequins. I didn't want sparkles. I didn't want anything like that. And I was very basic in my costuming probably about 15 years ago. And then, um, you know, I've, we've changed over the years. So now I'm back to the more sparkle, the better. <laughs> so we have big flashy, sparkly costumes pretty much. Yeah. Back in Ottawa, I studied at the, uh, Ottawa Dance Center schools, just a little recreational studio. And every once in a while, they would do something special for us, like have a nutritionist come in and talk or do a couple sample Pilates classes and things like that, uh, which really kind of brought, brought the school together and, made us see that they cared too. Do you, do you have any services like that that you share with your students? Do you have the capacity to do that? I think we do a lot of things. Uh, I'm not sure if it would be considered things we do for them, but I mean, we do our Christmas parties and cake after the show and come over to our house and come down to our you know country place. Uh, we have... We do have a lot of guest teachers who come in. Um, sometimes we charge the kids depending on the price. Sometimes we don't. Um, we, I think we do a lot of activities within the sea. We do bridal showers and baby showers. Every dancer who gets married or is engaged or has a baby, everybody's involved. Everybody participates and we usually do it at the studio. So with regards to guests coming in like nutritionists or guest teachers, our month of June right now coming up is all guest teachers. And you mentioned So You Think You Can Dance. We actually have two dancers from So You Think You Can Dance coming in, which is the first time I'm ever doing this. But we do have uh, Adam Aslan coming in and uh, Amy Gardner coming in. Adam's coming in in June and Amy's coming in in July. Just for, you know, for to give them something different to experience. I have another studio director coming in. She's She owns a studio in Candiac, which is where I live. She's coming in this week, uh, this week, coming next week, to give us some street jazz hip-hop classes. And, um, there's no added charge to our dancers for that. Um, we had to add some charge for Adam and Amy cause they're expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we have, we work with, um, Catherine Croft now the past year who, uh, works with the Cirque du Soleil. She's also uh, in Montreal. You may know her. Um, but she's come in and choreographed for our team and she's coming in as well in June to give us some jazz technique classes. So the kids aren't paying any more for this. Mm -hmm. And some of them are closed to the competitive kids, but for example, Amy Gardner was open to anyone who wanted to come take that class. So it just depends on the time of year, how much time and studio time is, has always been very limited for us because we only had the one room. Now we're hoping that we'll have a bit more opportunity to kind of get more activities going on, but we're always doing something mm -hmm. together. Like honestly, they go to the water parks together or they're <laughs> off at La home together. Or, you know, there, there were over a hundred of us last week on a cruise ship. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it sounds like a, a family business, not just in the way it's run, yeah. but also in the in the community it builds. But yeah, let's talk about this cruise. <laughs> and let's talk about how you celebrated the 75th anniversary. Yeah, well, usually every second year we try to go to New York City and take dance classes. So that's something we've been doing for years and years and years. And we've gone to Boston and we've done, you know, the typical, I think, things that a lot of dance studios do. And uh, one of the parents came to me a couple of years ago and 
we had seen, you know, there's advertisements in dance studio magazine, dance magazine about these performance cruises. And you can go to Disney and dance. You can do all sorts of things now. Go to New York on Broadway. And I'd never cruised before. And we wanted to do something exciting for the 75th. Um, and so last year I just decided, you know, let's do it. Let's see, you know, maybe only 10 people can afford to come and maybe more can come. So we started planning this at the end of, uh, I guess the end of 2000, the summer of 2012. And it started building and we said, you know, anyone wants to come, alumni, uh, faculty, current competitive dancers, recreational dancers. And we had 40 dancers on board, but with their parents and family and friends, it was over a hundred. And so we booked a carnival cruise on the carnival splendor. We pulled out in New York, um, my goodness, I think on Friday the 17th, I can't remember now. We sailed for eight nights in the Caribbean. We did two shows, dress rehearsal. We had a master class with one of the professional dancers on the ship. And, uh, we returned Saturday night. <laughs> so it was amazing. It was, we danced in a theater that seated 1100. It was almost full. They gave our dancers a standing ovation. These were not the parents. <laughs> These were like actual carnival guests, uh, cruisers. And, uh, we got amazing feedback. It was a great experience for the dancers. We, the youngest was four who performed. And yeah, <laughs> and, uh, the oldest was late, you know, late twenties and it was just a great, great experience. Um, I, we were all together for eight days. There was no option. I mean, we were stuck on a boat together and I never saw so much bonding happening between the dancers and the parents as I saw this past week and they all loved it. So it was a great experience. Where did the cruise take place? We left New York city and we sailed for two days down to Nassau. We did, uh, we were at the Atlantis for one day. Then we went to Carnival's private island, uh, Half Moon K. And then we went to Grand Turk. And then we were two days back. So we performed once going down, one day at sea going down, and one day at sea coming back, a 30 to 35 minute show each. Was it similar to booking a show in a performance space? It was actually, you know, I didn't have to do too much. Uh, normally when we go to New York, I do everything. I book the hotel. I book the classes where we're taking. This time I went with a travel agent who this is what she does. She takes dance studios on cruises okay. and they perform. So basically we paid like every other guest on the ship. We paid a little bit more because we rented the auditorium and we had the guest teacher and we had to pay for the technicians, but it was still a group rate. So it ended up being a fairly reasonable price. And this travel agent pretty much coordinated everything for us. She told us when our dress rehearsal would be. She had everything organized. So we basically walked on the ship. I walked on with my program, my music and my dancers and we were ready to go. So it was a really great experience for me too, because I really didn't have to do that much. I prepared like any other show. Uh, I have to tell you the dancing on a ship is quite the experience because it rocks. And the dancers that first day going down, we were thinking this is not going to happen. Like these compass turns and these pirouettes and the point shoes. We thought, no, that we can't do this. Like everybody was panicked. Some of the dancers were seasick. And, uh, you know, it was probably the best show we'd ever done was that first show going down the energy from the audience, the unknown from the dancers and the fact that they actually accomplished probably one of the best shows they did on a rocking boat was just amazing. So everybody was on a high. <laughs> With the strong community aspect and very much this family type of vibe that, that we get from your school, do you ever get people who are like 
listen, I'd like to actually push this further and, you know, go beyond the studio and actually become a professional dancer. Is that something that you've seen before? We have. Um, we've had dancers go on to dance um, with Les Grands or whatever. But years ago, actually, I can't say all that recently, our kids kind of know what we're about. You know, we're an intermediate level studio. The kids who come dance with us can still play volleyball, can still do synchronized swimming, can still excel at school, can do other activities. Um, our, many of our kids, like this past year, we had six in the Nutcracker, Les Grands Ballets Nutcracker. Every year we have, you know, two to six, seven, eight dancers in the Nutcracker. They go on and they'll go to New York and dance with the Rockettes, you know, for a week, uh, summer camp. So we definitely promote, we want them to get out there and, and dance with others, but they just kind of, I think just stay because it fits their needs. We've never had anyone leave to go train more. I don't think because it's never been their desire. I don't think, I think, um, I, I, I don't want to say never because years ago, of course we had dancers who have gone on and, you know, done other things. We have a dancer now who's in Toronto and she's, uh, she studied theater and now she's performing in Toronto. Um, so we do have, you know, the odd ones that do, but generally I think it just fits their lifestyle and it fits what it allows them to do other things and still continue to be successful at whatever else it is, music or whatever else they want to do. And with that big move that's coming in September, you mentioned about four, three to four classes you'd like to add. Would those be classes that are already on your schedule, but like at different age levels, or would it be whole new classes that you're thinking of offering? Um, we're actually adding about 12 classes to the schedule, but four of which are geared for adults. We're adding a pre-competitive team now because it's hard for kids to go from the recreational to the competitive when some of our kids have been training on the competition team for five, six years. It's a big gap now. So we're trying to make that easier for some of them to make it onto the competitive team by giving them like an intermediate kind of level, like a, a step up from rec, but a step below competitive. So we're adding a couple of pre-competitive classes. We're adding a taught class, so 18 months to three years old, um, which we were never able to do just for time. Uh, we're adding some adult classes. We're adding some conditioning classes. And then we're splitting some classes because we've just had our classes were just large. And so we're hoping now that we can um, take on more like that three, four, five-year-old age we've had to cap like we've been at our we've pretty much been at our max of most of our classes for about five six years we just you know we only have so much space so now we're hoping that we can kind of offer two classes for that age level or you know so we don't know what it means right now because we haven't had registration and it's a big step and stressful all at the same time it's exciting and stressful but um what we're adding is some new and then some just more of the same level Coming back to the family ties that um, are obviously you know important and just part of a of the the, the the school of dance, Cameron School of Dance. Um, was there any any friction over the years? You know, could you separate what you do with the school uh, with your mother, or uh, and then what you do? You know, for uh, birthdays or a weekend out? You know, like uh, how right. does that work? I guess for you, for me personally, my vacations were pretty much always with the dance studio. So when I worked my day job, which was completely non dance related. Um, I would have, let's say three weeks vacation. One was always dedicated to the studio. Either I was taking dancers to New York or going to competitions. And then another week or two was with just my family. So I was pretty strict about having just my husband and my kids, our family time at least one or two weeks a year. And then pretty much all my other weekends and, 
at least one week out of the year for me was dedicated to the students somehow, whatever it might be. My mom was very similar. My mom retired from her day job about three years ago. Um, and she always did both. And I always did both too until March, which I realize now was probably a little insane. I don't know how that happened. And, but it was all we ever knew because we just always did both. So my mom used to do probably 70 hours a week and I was around 60 hours a week between my full-time job and the dancing. Her, she, you know, my mom invested everything time-wise into the studio. And when I grew up, she just spent more and more time there. So I think over the years, it's just developed into what it was 10 years ago is not what it is now, but I enjoy spending time with them. And we, we were just saying that this week, you know, like I would travel and do that with them anytime. Like it's enjoyable for us. Uh, so it's not work really. And I think that was a scary thing when I stopped my actual day job. I went, Oh, but dance has always been fun. And what I do just, you know, as a hobby and cause I enjoy it. If I stop work, Oh my gosh, then it's going to be my job. And what is that going to mean? But it didn't change anything. Like it just gave me more time. So with them. And do your kids dance or do your nephews or nieces uh, are part of the school as well? Uh, yes to all. <laughs> so um, my niece dances with us and my both my children dance. My son is more, he's 11 and he dances a bit more because my daughter is a gymnast. She's eight and she trains about 15 hours a week at gymnastics. So I try to get her into acro dance. She, this is one of the reasons why I started acro dance was for her. But, um, and we started B-boy classes for my son because I wanted him to dance and he at six did not want to dance with girls. So I brought in a B-boy teacher and a boys only class so he could dance. But now my son is the biggest musical theater kid there is and he's, they're both dancing with my team as much as they can. So they do dance. So they're the fourth generation. Do they know that they will? perhaps eventually take over or are they, uh, do you discuss uh, 11 and eight? Yeah. I guess you don't I'm just not yet. sure. You know, even when I was like 18 and 19, it wasn't in my pensées, you know, like I just, I don't, I, they know that dance is part of our lives, but I don't think they think about it because I didn't even think about, it. you know, at 16, I rebelled and I said, I'm never going to teach dance. I'm never going to dance. I'm not, you know, I went away to school in Lenoxville and I came back on weekends and taught the team, but I didn't invest as much as I am now. I think with time you realize, you know, what a legacy it is and, uh, you know, you, you learn to appreciate it. So I think they're too young to even think about it, but they argue over who's going to take over the school, but it's just for the sake of arguing. So. <laughs> so the summer is coming up. Can you tell us a bit about the dance uh, summer camps that the Cameron School of Dance is bringing up? Uh, yes. So normally we run two weeks of summer camp. So one week for like the six to eight year olds and one week for the nine to 11 year olds. And this summer we thought we'd try and gear more at those kids who are home too young to work, but too old to kind of go to camp. Well, they think they're too old to go to camp. So we added two new summer camps this summer. Um, we're not sure if they'll come off the ground yet or not, because it's still, it's new. Um, the first one is, uh, called the road to Broadway and beyond. So it's for that, uh, 12 to 17 year old who may not be working yet, who doesn't want to work yet, or who's just going to sit and hang out at home. So that first week, uh, the new camp is road to Broadway and beyond. So we're hoping to focus on, uh, those kids who have an interest to go on and, and do something 
a little extra, whether it be Broadway or one day maybe work for the Cirque du Soleil. Um, so we've got all sorts of interesting things on that agenda. If it should ha- I'm hoping the camp has enough registered so we can make it work because it's really what I'd like to do with it is I'm excited about, you know, I want to ha- I have plans for a, for a photographer to come in and do headshots for them. And I have uh, guests coming in to speak about, you know, the Cirque du Soleil and uh, speak about, um, talent agencies and things like that. So that's the first one we added. And the second camp we added is called the Young Choreographers Camp. So again, for the same age, like 12 to 17, um, teaching kids, you know, how to create and choreograph. Uh, I was, I didn't, I taught myself. It was kind of trial and error. And, um, you know, I figured, you know, I could help maybe someone learn from my mistakes and also help them find their creative side or not because I don't have that creative side, but how you can still be successful at, you know, creating and teaching and, um, and, and not have to worry about needing to be this super creative person. So that's our second new camp. And actually we brought in another new dance intensive at the end of August. So that's for kids who want to come in and it's a 12 hour camp that's going to happen in three days. And we are offering three levels. So a child that wants to come in and just really kind of get like a technique boot camp, we're offering that in August as well. I'd like to, to close up, uh, to ask actually for more information about Cameron School of Dance. How can we find you, especially with the new address coming up? People who are interested in discovering the studio and where it's going now in the future. Where can people get more information? Well, they can go to our website, which is www.camerondance.com. There's this photo on your website of the cutest little angel. She's yeah, Madison. Oh. <laughs> She's seven now. She was three there. I know. The kid, like, they're so cute. And we're bringing in the little ones now. 18 months. It's going to be a riot. I'm, they're hilarious. They were always my grandmother's favorite to teach. My, we always wished my grandmother would write a book because her favorite were these little kids and way back in the day, and they still play it. It's part of their curriculum is TV time. My grandmother used to play TV with them and they'd all sit in a circle and they'd each get their solo moment. You know, each child would get up and she'd say, okay, Madison, what do you want to be today? And the kid could, the child could choose anything. I want to be a bird or I want to be a car. And they go, okay, what channel? And they'd say channel six, click, click. Cause back then it was like, turn your channel. And they would, you know, have their moment to dance. And, you know, it was her favorite to teach these little guys. And she had so many funny stories about what these children would choose to be and what they'd say to her. And we always used to say, oh, Nana, you should have written a book. You know, you should write a book because they're hilarious. And they're the, you know, they're so raw and so honest, you know, but they were always her favorite to teach. So, yeah, there's some pretty fun pictures on there. <laughs> I actually posted pictures of the cruise, too. You'll find somewhere oh, on the great. website. So we have pictures of dancing, but we have pictures of our social you know, the social aspect of the studio as well. Probably, I would say, if you look at our pictures, more of it is towards the social aspect. And <laughs> there's probably less dance photos on there than I'm sure it balances out. But I'll, I'll give you the email address. Um, well, our phone number is 450-671-3470. And uh, it's camdance at belnet.ca. So camdance at belnet.ca. So you can call us anytime. Uh, we're having our first registration for the September season in June. We're running two days. That's going to be run at our, the registration will be at our old studio. Anyone who is interested can call 
the number on the website or send us an email and we'll let them know when they can register. In a few days, our September schedule will be posted on our website with all the choice of classes, the costs, everything will be on our website. Right now, we still have our May-June session information on there. Um, summer camps, it's still not too late to register for those. And we're hoping to, you know, have a really exciting end of our 75th year by moving into the new studio and um, being able to offer uh, you know, more facilities. Uh, when we made this decision um, a couple of months ago, a good friend of ours whose daughters danced with us, he said to us, he said, um, you know, your facilities don't reflect the quality of instruction that mm-hmm. you guys offer, which is true. You know, one little studio and two, like two little doors entering, no office, no re- reception area, no nothing. And it was cold this year. It was a freezing year and the place wasn't insulated well. And so our dancers, I'm, I'm shocked they're still with us because I don't know that I would have sent my child to the studio this winter. Our parking situation was horrendous. We have 12 parking spots. We're going from 12 to 150 parking spots at the studio. So we're really excited to move into the new place and we hope that, you know, everybody will be happy with the move and we hope to see lots of new faces there in September. Well, Sheena, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about the Cameron School of Dance and congratulations on 75 years. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much to all of you. <laughs> thank you. A great, uh, great time to spend with you. So we're having so much fun doing this Dirty Feet podcast, and we've been hearing from you guys that are enjoying it as well. We've actually got somebody in New York who really appreciates what we're doing and wanted to contribute, and we love that, and uh, we love that we're able to branch out a little bit. We do live in Montreal, and we do talk a lot about what's happening in Montreal, so it's good to get some perspective from elsewhere. Just a reminder, you can reach us at dirtyfeet at nomoradio.com if you want to contribute in some way. If you have a question, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or feedback of any kind, let us know. But anyway, let's talk about what's already happened. An old uh, schoolmate and colleague of ours, uh, who is the first time contributor to the Dirty Feet podcast, Mike Krutoru. Uh, he studied with us, uh, with Joanne and I at uh, Concordia Dance, and he's gone off and done some incredible things in the dance world, and he's currently based in New York, and he took some time out of his schedule to give us a rundown of some really interesting things that are happening there. Uh, so it's a little brief recording, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Mike in New York City on Canada's own Dirty Feet Podcast. In a few weeks, there will be three shows that are on my list of contemporary-based performances to go and check out. Performance 1, Headlong Dance Theatre presents Avalanche. Philadelphia-based Headlong Dance Theatre is bringing a new performance to New York City that considers the performer's body over a lifetime of performing and the idea of an ordinary life. Their first performance will be on Thursday, June 6th at 8 p.m. at Dance Space Project. I'll let you know where that is in just a minute. Performance 2, PNDT Plus Renegade Dance Theatre presents Culture. The Patricia Norwall Dance Theatre, PNDT, is an NYC-based company and is committed to the creation of unique dance and physical theatre performances that demand life, passion, 
and physicality. Their first premiere performance will be on June 13th at 8 p.m. And the show will be running from June 13th to 15th, so no worries if you don't catch the first show. This show will also be presented at Dance Space Project. Dance Space Project is at 131 East 10th Street, St. Mark's Church in the Bowery District of New York City. More information again at 212-647-8112. Performance number three, Amanda Selwyn Dance Theater presents It's a Game, a dance theater work that will bring a chess game to life through character, movement, line, pattern, relationship, and human drama. This show will premiere at the New York Live Arts Center on Thursday, June 27th at 7.30 p.m. The New York Live Arts Center is located at 219 West 19th Street in New York City. Again, that's 219 West 19th Street in New York City. More information can be found at 212-691-6500. The Dance Space Project Center was founded in 1974 to provide a venue for independent, experimental choreographers. New York Live Arts Center strives to create a robust framework in support of the nation's dance and movement-based artists through new approaches to producing, presenting, and educating. This is Mike from New York City, your residential artist and New York City correspondent. À la prochaine. Till next time. Thank you. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and hosted by... Alison Burns. J.D. Papillon. Joanie Ferrand. And distributed by No More Radio. You can find more about our show at nomoradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. And you can find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Tune in next week for a whole new show. 